Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of Facts versus Rhetoric. Thank you very much for joining us today. Uh, topic on the docket today is Russia-Ukraine conflict. And I wanted to talk about it today because I don't think it's as simple as the portrayal in the mainstream media that we're everyone's seeing where there's uh, good guys and bad guys. I think the days of good versus evil is long gone and there are just bad guys and different degrees of bad guys and meddling in other people's shit and bad foreign policy all the way around. So in trying to cover this topic, obviously it's a very complex topic with a lot of history. I'm not a Ukrainian or Russian history major, but I believe there are some historical events we're going to go over today that show us how we got here. And then I also want to cover the U.S.'s involvement in stoking this fire and causing it to be the problem that it is today. Okay, that's kind of the view I want to take because I think it's important to hold our politicians and government responsible for their actions around the world, right? I'm never a fan of our foreign policy where we go play empire and play police officer all over the world and pretend like we have this moral high ground to dictate terms to sovereign nations. So that's always bothered me. And this is a great example of what happens when we start meddling in everybody else's shit, right? And then, of course, we always have the audacity to accuse other people of meddling in our stuff. And, you know, God forbid, how could you? So I just think it's just so hypocritical much like everything with government. but So to, to start with the Russia-Ukraine thing, we should go back to April 4th, 1949. That's when NATO was formed. That's the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Now, this started with 12 European countries and two North American countries. And the goal was to prevent Germany and or the Soviet Union from attacking an ally after World War II. Right. So even though the Soviet Union helped the Allies defeat the Germans, they were far too powerful in, the, I guess, the world's eyes to, to go unchecked. So they thought a coalition forces between a bunch of countries would be a good deterrent to prevent them from invading another country. So NATO's formed after World War II. Now let's fast forward to Christmas 1991. That's the fall of the Soviet Union, right? So the hammer and sickle flag is lowered at the Kremlin. It's replaced by the Russian flag. Mikhail Gorbachev resigns. And Boris Yeltsin is elected president of Russia, where he serves up until 1999. And oddly enough, he works with Bill Clinton to elect Vladimir Putin to his first term. So a little bit of history for everyone there. So it's the late 90s. Soviet Union is broken up. But NATO still exists. And it's growing. It's now up to 28 European countries. So that's always been bothersome to Russia because they were told that NATO would not expand. Okay? And NATO is expanding and they're getting closer and closer to, to Russia's border. Okay? So that's Russia's big concern with NATO is the, they keep accepting these countries closer and closer to Russia. So they don't want to feel surrounded, you know, especially by a NATO force. So let's jump ahead to 2008, and this is a pivotal point of information that was provided to us by WikiLeaks and Julian Assange. They made public a cable 
from William Burns, who was the U.S. ambassador to Russia, who is now the acting CIA director. He sent a cable to Washington letting them know if NATO accepts Ukraine, that it would start a civil war in Ukraine and it would force Russia to take a side. I think that's very important that that came out. Thank you again, Mr. Assange, because it, it gives us a timeline of 2008. The U.S. knew exactly what would happen if the Ukraine-NATO thing ended up happening or the threat of it. They knew how big of an issue it was. So 2010, the Ukraine people democratically elect Viktor Yanukovych for president. So he's a few years into his presidency and protests start to flare up all over the country because Yanukovych is choosing to align Ukraine with Russia and not with the European Union. Okay, so as he's, you know, choosing which trade deals he wants to enter into, who he wants to do business with, he chooses Russia over the EU and then a lot of people in that country had a big fucking problem with it. Okay, you have a bunch of different factions in Ukraine that do not like Russia. And then you have a bunch of factions in Ukraine that still speak Russian, still hold Russian values and identify more with Russia than Ukraine. And if you look at a map, Russia and Ukraine are neighbors. They have a border. The people on the border identify more with Russia. And then people further to the West identify more with Ukraine. A simple way to look at it, but that's kind of what we're talking about. We have uh, a country of Ukraine that's very divided in the loyalties. And the people in Ukraine have a big fucking problem with the people that are still loyal to Russia. Okay, so there are protests, you know, horrible shit happening. These, these, these factions are going to war in the streets almost every day. All right, and a good example of this, if you want to Google the 2014 Odessa massacre, I'm sure I'll use a different name on the Wikipedia page, but... It's just an example of the type of shit that's happening, right? You have the right sector, which is the Ukrainian neo-Nazi far-right party or group. They went in and they burned pro-Russian citizens alive. And I think 42 people died in a building. You know, that's, that's the kind of shit that's going on, okay, in their, in their own country. So let's jump ahead to January 27th, 2014. There's another pivotal point in history. Thank you again to WikiLeaks. It's an infamous phone call between the Assistant Secretary of State for European and Eurasia, Victoria Nuland, and American Ambassador to Ukraine, Jeffrey Pyatt. And in this conversation, they're discussing the successor to the deposed President Yanukovych. All this shit's happening. Protests are breaking out. They have a coup. They overthrow Yanukovych. Now the U.S. swoops in, and they're trying to plan the next successor. Remember, the U.S. needs an anti-Russian government in Ukraine, right? They need that to further their agenda in facilitating the next Cold War, okay? It's not beneficial for the U.S. for Russia to get along with everybody and everyone to get along with Russia, okay? So always keep that in the back of your mind as we go through this shit. The U.S.'s motives are not for peace. They're for their own self-interest, okay? So let's listen to the back half of that clip of Victoria Newland discussing how things are going to go down in Ukraine with Jeffrey Pyatt. Okay, I've now written, oh, one more wrinkle for you, Jeff. Yeah. Uh, can't remember if I told you this or if I only told Washington this, that when I talked to Jeff Feltman this morning, he had a new name for the UN guy, Robert Seri. Did I write yeah. you that this morning? Yeah, okay. I saw that. 
he's now gotten both Sari and Ban Ki-moon to agree that Sari could come in Monday or Tuesday. Okay. So that would be great, I think, to help glue this thing and have the UN help glue it and, you know, fuck the EU. No, exactly. And I think we've got to do something to make it stick together because you can be pretty sure that if it does, if it does start to gain altitude, the Russians will be working behind the scenes to try to torpedo it. And again, the fact that this is out there right now, I'm still trying to figure out in my mind why Yanukovych that. But in the meantime, there's a party of regions faction meeting going on right now, and I'm sure there's a lively argument going on in that group at this point. But anyway, we could we could land jolly side up on this one if we move fast. So let me work on let me work on Klitschko, and if you can just keep, I, I think we want to try to get somebody with an international personality to come out here and help to midwife this thing. And then the other the other issue is some kind of outreach to Yanukovych, but we probably regroup on that tomorrow as we see how things start to fall into place. So on that piece, Jeff, when I wrote the note, Sullivan's come back to me, uh, VFR, saying you need Biden, and I said probably tomorrow for an attaboy and to get the deets to stick. So okay. Biden's willing. Okay, great. All right. Thanks. All right, so a couple uh, <laughs> cool little nuggets there. So again, this is why we need whistleblower protection. This is why we need independent news journalism people like WikiLeaks because this is how you hold the people in power accountable by having access to the, these kinds of conversations. Now, it's just a couple of alarming things from that call, right? So obviously the first thing is the level of meddling that we do, right, all over the world is unprecedented. You know, then we have the gall to accuse other countries of meddling in our affairs. I mean, Jesus. I know we talk a lot about projection on this podcast because there are so many examples of our government accusing other governments or their citizens of doing the very same shit that they do. It's getting a comical place for me because it's just, it's so obvious and blatant and no one gives a shit. You know, you heard Newland's famous fuck the EU line. Fucking great. Classic US foreign policy, right? Fuck the, fuck the European Union for wanting stability in the region, right? We can't sell any weapons if uh, there's peace. Unbelievable. And then the whole thing, it's like, Bring Biden in, you know? We need an international personality to help glue this thing. You know, we need to have, have him midwife this thing along, help the process along in a direction that the U.S. wants it to go. This is why the Hunter Biden Ukraine stuff was so important to actually come out and why it was such a travesty that it was suppressed during the election. Because th th as you'll see here, this shit has real consequences, you know, they send Joe Biden over to help midwife the next president that they wanted after they fucking helped the Ukrainian people overthrow their own democratically elected government. Right. You see how crazy that is? The U.S. is the one giving billions of dollars a year in arms to Ukraine just to keep it a fucking powder keg. Right. And then as soon as the Ukrainian president says, you know, I want to deal with Russia instead of the EU. The people in the country go crazy and then we swoop in and we make, you know, it just, it's unbelievable. Just the amount of meddling back and forth, right? So 2014, they elect a new president. Poroshenko is elected president of Ukraine with the help of the United States. That does not solve the violence in the country. Okay. They overthrew the government, but there's still a fucking problem. So lots of badness still happening domestically in Ukraine, right? So a lot of war between the two factions, 
They tried to sign the Minsk Agreement. This agreement sought to end the war in the Donbass region. So that's that's what you're hearing about, right? The Donbass region is that section of Ukraine that borders Russia. You know, it's controlled by Russian separatists. Those are the people who identify more with Russia than Ukraine. Russian speaking. They're keeping true to the Russian heritage. So all, all the m- major bad shit has happened in the Donbass region because that's where the Ukrainian people are firing their missiles into. And that's who Russia is trying to help the Russian separatist section of Ukraine. So in the agreement, the pro-Russia regions would demilitarize in exchange for autonomy from Ukraine and Ukraine would not join NATO. So like really simple agreement. I'll stop fighting with you if you leave us the fuck alone and don't join NATO. This thing never got off the ground. By January 2015, the Minsk agreement was totally collapsed. The ceasefire never actually worked. You know, and it's important to remember that all the while, the U.S. is sending Ukraine billions and billions of dollars of money and weapons to keep this region from becoming peaceful, right? They want to have that leverage over Russia. And if Ukraine is in play, then they can use the use NATO to threaten Russia's borders and keep things unstable for their own gain. Right. The military industrial complex is behind all of our shady foreign policy. You know, when the U.S. occupies like northern Syria, you know, when the U.S. aids the Saudis in bombing Yemen and inflicting a genocide on the people of Yemen, you know, when the U.S. bombs Somalia, you know, you get the point, right? We make up all these reasons to have to intervene and play empire all over the world. And then we have the audacity to vilify other countries for defending their borders. Right? It's just, again, the hypocrisy is palpable. Back to 2015, Biden helps orchestrate the coup in Ukraine, gets his son on the board of an energy company for $80,000 a month in the aftermath. You know, I still think those Hunter Biden stories about Ukraine are not newsworthy. That's the tit for tat. That's the selling of influence. That's the corruption that we always talk about. When you're able to sell your influence for profit, you know, and they don't, they can't just obviously directly receive money. So they, hey, take my kid, throw him on the board of your energy company, overpay the shit out of him, and that's how you repay me back. Let's fast forward to 2021. Biden becomes president, and he gets a welcome present from Ukraine. The Ukrainian government shuts down three pro-Russian TV networks and arrests a pro-Russian leader. And as a result of that, Russia starts to build troops up on the border because they're like, what the fuck is going on? But that's, again, the tit for tat. You know, Biden's congratulatory present from Ukraine was them getting rid of a bunch of pro-Russian TV networks and leaders of the pro-Russian movement. And there is one more big moving piece that we need to look at, too. And that's the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. You know, did you think we were going to cover something like this and there not be fossil fuels involved? So the Nord Stream 2 pipeline brings liquid natural gas... So LNG, liquid natural gas, from Russia to Germany. Now, geez, Nick, what's wrong with that? Well, nothing really, but from the U.S.'s point of view, that's not good because the U.S. is the number one exporter of LNG to Europe. And a pipeline from Russia to Germany would seriously affect the profits of the United States exporters. Not only would the U.S. lose money, but a stable relationship between Germany and Russia is not good for the U.S. either. With a stable Russia, the U.S. would have a harder time garnering support from Europe to fuck with Russia. If, if an opportunity presented itself, 
it's much easier to to do that if they're not solidly in relationships with the rest of you. Now remember, the U.S. is doing whatever it can to keep the Russian threat alive, right? Anyone remember Russiagate? You know, that evidence-free conspiracy theory that Russia meddled in our elections and got Trump elected? Remember that fun time from like 2016 to today where everything that went wrong was the fault of the Russians? <laughs> you lost your car keys, fucking Russians. You know, your, your candidate loses to a political novice game show host for president, fucking Russians. Right? Everywhere you look, it was the new Red Scare. You know, like McCarthyism 2.0 on fucking steroids. The mainstream media, social media, just manufacturing consent to label Russia as the bad guys. And, and we should be ready to do whatever we need to stop them. Right? Trump, that, that Russian agent, he put sanctions on the firm building that pipeline, the Nord Stream 2 pipeline. It was not completed. Trump took office and put sanctions on them and prevented them from finishing the pipeline. So it remained 95% completed until May 2021 when Biden lifted the sanctions and the pipeline was completed by September. You know, Biden's condition was if Russia invaded Ukraine, then the gas gets shut off. You know, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said, if Vladimir Putin wants to see gas flow through that pipeline, he may not want to take the risk of invading Ukraine. Right, so again, just another example of the U.S. knowing exactly what will happen and wanting that just forever conflict to always be there. Because when there's conflict and unrest, there's money to be made, right? There's ammunition to sell, there's weapon systems to sell, there's just all this bullshit that's tied into that foreign policy, military, industrial complex machine. And that's why you see us involved more all over the world wasting our resources and money all over the world instead of our own country. It's more profitable to go play war and empire in other people's country than it is to fix the problems in our country. You know, do you see what the U.S. is doing, right? So on one hand, they're willing to use the pipeline as leverage against military buildup on their Ukraine border. And on the other hand, they're doing everything in their power to goad Russia into a war with Ukraine, right? They keep giving Ukrainians money. They keep giving them weapons. They keep trying to get Ukraine to join NATO. They keep building up forces on the Russian border. Remember, when, when Castro tried to put missiles in Cuba, we almost went to oh, another world war over that because they were too close to the U.S. You just imagine if Russia was arming and funding Mexico or Canada, right? What, what would the U.S. do? You know, I'm, I'm not saying Russia is justified in their actions. You know, they, they are violating the U.N. by not having sufficient reasons to invade Ukraine. But you can see that there is way more to the story than simply the Russians are crazy and bad and capable of anything, and the Ukrainians are just innocent bystander victims, right? And, and the U.S. like, well, geez, how can we see this coming, right? Do you see the U.S.'s hand in this? Like, they could have done so much more in the way of diplomacy and using their power for peace in that area. You know, the, the Ukrainian government would have done whatever the U.S. told them to do. They could have told them, hey, let, let them have the Donbass region. Let it be its own state. Stop bombing your own fucking citizens. And it's done. Peace. It's obvious that the U.S. doesn't give a shit about the Ukrainian people, right? Can we at least all get to that point? Just like they don't give a shit about the Kurds or the women in Afghanistan or all the other bullshit reasons to go play war and intervene in other countries, right? They just manufacture consent to intervene. And then the Raytheon stock goes up. And the insane military budget is justified, 
And they just, the shit just keeps going at the taxpayer's expense. If there is peace, then we could not justify to the taxpayers why we need a military budget of $778 billion a year. If you look at the top 10 countries spending and military budget, we're obviously number one. If you add up the next nine countries, it's still less than we spend. You, you just heard that right. So the U.S. spends $778 billion a year. Number two is China with $252 billion. Then there's a huge drop-off. Number three is India, $72 billion. Russia, $61 billion. The U.K., $59 billion. And down the list. Like, seriously, do we need to spend $778 billion fucking dollars a year? Do we, can we use like, like half of that money to invest in our own country? A quick other side note on this whole military spending. Do you know who the number one polluter in the world is with carbon emissions? It's not China. It's not their filthy factories over there. It's the U.S. military. Who, by the way, is exempt from any climate change legislation. Let that sink in. So next time you're speaking to someone who thinks the world's going to fucking melt and we need to do something about it right now, just maybe mention to them that the government obviously doesn't think that that's the case or else they do something about it because they are the number one polluter on the planet and all they would have to do is stop spending money and it would lower that climate burden of the military and their 1,000 fucking military bases all around the world. But I bet that doesn't happen. Just don't be gaslit by the government trying to tell you that you need to be more green and you need to do your part, right? Russia, Ukraine, complicated history with a lot of meddling from the U.S. and other people. It's not good versus evil. It's not that simple. Nothing is anymore. So we all need to do a better job at understanding that and identifying it. I don't believe Russia is justified for invading Ukraine. However, there's way more to the story, and we also need to hold the U.S. accountable for letting it get to this point because it serves their interests. All you have to do is follow the money.